Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you again. I haven't uh, been here for maybe about three years, I think. Um, and of course, uh, what we're doing is a pulpit exchange. So uh, as Isaac said, Ryan has gone to uh, Hillside Church, where I'm the regular pastor, and I'm here with you for the next two weeks. Now, there is a problem with pulpit exchanges. And the problem is, what happens if he preaches better than I normally preach? <laughs> what if they like him more than they like me? So I promised uh, Ryan that I would preach very poor sermons the next two weeks, and he's promised the same to me. We'll see. In the two opportunities that I have to share with you uh, this week and next week, I want to talk a little bit about challenges that face the church. And I want to do that in a slightly unusual way by looking at two chapters from the book of Judges, specifically at passages uh, which look at the life of Samson. Now, when you're talking about the church, the book of Judges and the story of Samson are not perhaps the first passages that come to mind. Uh, but I want to state clearly that what the church is and does, what your church is and does, flows out of who God is and what God is doing in the world. We are called to reflect the character of God, the God that we serve, and we're called to join him in his mission in the world. So as a result, there's no part of God's word which doesn't teach us more about what it means to be his people. I'd like to begin this morning by looking uh, with you at Judges chapter 13. Uh, so let's just continue reading where we left off. We, we stopped at verse 14. Let me read the rest of the chapter. Judges uh, chapter 13, reading from verse 15 on. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. One of the jobs that I do is uh, teaching preaching. And one of the foundations of preaching is that the Bible is the word of God. God reveals himself to us through the Bible. 
He reveals himself in every book of the Bible. He reveals himself in every chapter of every book in the Bible. So the easiest way to preach from the Bible is simply to ask of any chapter, what does this passage tell us about who God is? And I want to suggest to you that when we read Judges chapter 13, we find four different views of God. The first is the view of the Israelites, which were alerted to in that first verse. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, it's not so much what this verse says as what it doesn't say, which tells us what the Israelites thought about God. Let's just remind ourselves where we are in the the biblical story. God has formed a people for himself by calling Abraham and Sarah and then sending them to the land of Canaan. They have a family, uh, and we're told about Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's son Joseph, who goes down to Egypt. God uses this uh, relocation to save his people from famine in Canaan, and they spend 400 years in Egypt during which time they go from being a family, an extended family, to being a a real nation. But they also become slaves in Egypt. So God sends them Moses. And Moses, of course, leads the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness for the next 40 years. And when Moses leaves them, Joshua takes them into the promised land. And they conquer a great deal of the promised land and they set up their homes. But they don't manage to conquer the whole land. And even in the bits that they do conquer, they don't generally manage to extinguish the false religious practices which have been going on there before. Because of that, it's not long before they're in serious trouble. And a pattern develops that we read of in scripture. We see it repeated again and again, particularly in the book of Judges. So, Judges chapter 3. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, that is, the other gods. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of the king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. The Israelites were subject to Eglon for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. They cried to the Lord for help, And the Lord sent them Deborah. And Judges chapter 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. And the prophet reminds them of God's saving acts in the past. And then God sends them Gideon to deliver them. And then again in Judges chapter 10, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, 
who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the, ball, the balls. And the Lord sent Jephthah to save them. Now do you see what's, what's going on here? This repeated pattern. And do you see the difference at the beginning of chapter 13? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And that's the end. That's the end of what we're told. The pattern has been broken, that pattern where the people are unfaithful. God hands them over to their enemies. And then they cry out to God. And God sends them a deliverer. But not here. They've been put into the hands of their enemies for 40 years. And still they don't cry out to God. When the verse says that the Israelites did evil, it's literally the evil there, which is the worshipping of other gods. They've abandoned God to worship others. They've been invaded and for 40 years they've been persecuted by another nation. And yet they don't cry out to God. Now I want to suggest to you that this is a picture of how God is seen by many people in Canada. Once upon a time, virtually everyone believed in God. A huge proportion of the population attended church. But over the years, for most people, that belief has ebbed away. And in Canada, the worship of God has been replaced by the worship of human achievement, the worship of self, and the worship of, in particular, material things. And now, when distress comes upon us, personal, local, or national, no one cries out to God anymore. That's not our default national response. We no longer cry out to God. A second view of God in this passage is given to us by Manoah. We're introduced to Manoah in verse 2, but it's rather an odd introduction. Instead of saying Manoah, a Danite from Zorah, what we have is a certain man from Zorah, from the clan of the Danites, named Manoah. Now that's a conspicuously unflattering introduction. His name comes sort of third in the order and pretty low down. But there's even more to come because the passage continues, had a wife who was childless. He isn't even the subject of his own introduction. His wife is the subject of his introduction. And in case we haven't got the point, the writer of Judges goes on to say in verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and not to him. Now that's deliberate. Something's being said here by the writer that we have to pay attention to. We don't actually meet Manoah himself until verse 8. Meanwhile, the angel of the Lord tells his wife that she's going to have a son, and this son will begin the deliverance of Israel. And she comes to him and she tells him about this. And in verse 8 we get his response. And it's fairly apparent that he's resentful that the man of God has appeared to his wife. And he wants to try and take back some control over the situation. 
Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Notice what he says there. The man of God you sent to us to teach us. Well, the man of God wasn't sent to them. The man of God was sent to his wife, and he's not very happy about that. Nevertheless, God heard Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? You can, you can hear it, can't you? The, 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 the nature of this kind of, kind of almost accusation. Manoah doesn't understand who he's talking to. And we can see why. Look what happens. Verse 12. Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? There's this tremendous desire for, for give me the extra knowledge so that I can be in control of this situation. And the angel of the Lord answers, your wife must do all that I have told her. It's got nothing to do with him. And then continues, she must not eat, etc., etc., etc. And then she must do everything I have commanded her. The Lord is too kind to say, really, it's none of your business. But that's really what's being said. Manoah is after more information than his wife was given, but he gets less. You can just hear him. Thank you for notifying my wife about this. Now, now that I'm here, you can give me all of the details. I'll keep the little woman in order. But Manoah doesn't even figure in the angel of the Lord's answer. So Manoah has another go in verse 15. We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you, he says. And when that doesn't work, he tries again in verse 17. What's your your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true. And every time he asks something of the Lord, he just gets no answer. He doesn't realize that he's talking with God. I want to suggest to you that in Manoah we have a picture of the church as it tries to, to wrestle control of God's activity in the world out of God's hands. And in Manoah, we see that the consequence of that attempt to control what God is doing is that we are no longer able to recognize God, even when he's standing right in front of us. See, when we try to control what God is doing in our lives, in our church, we stop exercising faith. And without faith, we cannot see God, the scripture says. If the history of revivals, those times when God pours out his spirit in a special blessing on his people and many outside of the church come to faith. If the history of, of those kinds of revivals teaches us anything, it's that when men and women try to organize them, they're soon extinguished as faith dissipates and God can no longer be seen. Menorah, I would argue, represents an institutional form of belief. Oh yes, a church that prays and believes in God but that wants to have some significant measure of control over how God acts, and in so doing, fails to exercise faith, and consequently is unable to recognize God, even when God is at work in their midst. A third view of God given to us through the, uh, in this passage comes through the eyes of Manoah's wife. 
We can see immediately as we read the passage that she presents an altogether brighter picture. When she first encounters the angel of the Lord and hears the extraordinary message that he has for her, she doesn't maybe respond as as well as that, that other woman in Scripture who receives such a message. Mary, the mother of Jesus, does. When she receives similar news, Mary responds with this great outpouring of worship to God. Well, Manoah's wife doesn't quite manage that, but she does at least believe what she's told. She doesn't ask who this messenger is or what his credentials are. She doesn't ask for a sign. She doesn't ask for proof. She just believes. And then she goes and informs her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. His appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Now that's a statement of faith. How did she know that his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God? She'd never seen an angel of God before. Well, she knew because unlike her husband, she had the eyes of faith. She recognized what she was seeing, even though she'd never seen it before. She doesn't yet realize that she's actually talking to God, but she's well on her way there. And the high point for this unnamed woman comes towards the end of the chapter, after Manoah makes that sacrifice of the goat to the Lord. Let's pick up the story in verse 19. Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah, excuse me, Noah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. In other words, it was God. Now, notice how the writer of Judges puts this phrase. Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. When Manoah does realize, he says in verse 22, we're doomed to die, we've seen God. He gives the response of institutional religion. It says it in the book, if you see God, you will die. So that's all there is to say. If you see God, you die. But she says in verse 23, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. She has room in her faith for both the rational and the miraculous. And she understands that she has a relationship with God, which goes beyond written rules, that God would not appear to them simply to kill them, having given them this message. But, while there's a lot to admire about the, the faith that she expresses, there's still a problem. Turn with me back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 7. Here she tells Manoah what the angel of the Lord has said to her. And she reports it as direct speech, exactly what she was told. You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. That's what she says she was told. But of course, that's not what she was told. She's made a subtle, perhaps even a subconscious adjustment to the message that she received. She skipped two important parts of the message, 
And she's actually added a little piece to it. In fact, what she's done is she's effectively eliminated all of verse 5. Oh, she, she has to mention this Nazarite bit because she has to explain why she's not drinking or eating any unclean foods. And she implicitly acknowledges that her son is going to have some kind of special life because she has to say something about his Nazarite status that will last until the day of his death. But whether consciously or unconsciously, she eliminates the commitment of her son to a public ministry. She eliminates the bit about her son coming to be a deliverer of Israel. And in doing this, I want to suggest that she presents us with a second picture of the church. We believe, do we not, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We say that and sing it at Christmas time. Like Manoah's wife, we're happy to receive the gift of a son from God. To receive the answer to our personal suffering. But do we believe that this blessing goes beyond us to the transformation of society? Do we believe in the words of Isaiah to do with Jesus that the government is on his shoulders? In other words, that there's public implications to being given a son by God. In an astonishing number of churches, while every encouragement is given to personal faith, Commitment to any kind of public ministry, to the deliverance, if you like, of the neighborhood from the powers which oppress it, it's almost, almost eliminated. Oh, we're willing to be Nazarites. We're willing to appear different from the world. You know, don't drink or chew or go with girls who do, you know. But in truth, subtly, perhaps even subconsciously, we are disengaged from the real work of transforming the world around us. It seems arrogant, doesn't it, to claim that, that my son, to claim that my church is God's means to change the world. But what has God said? The plain meaning of the gospel message is not that God has saved you and I, but that in saving you and I, God has begun to save the world. That's the gospel message. Well, the good news is that there is a fourth view of God in the chapter, which we see when we look at what God says and does himself. Now, there is an enormous amount that we could say if we went through every verse of this chapter. In, in verse 1 alone, we discover that God is affected by the evil that humans do. We discover that God will act to tackle this evil and that when he does so, it's often in ways that we don't expect. We can also see that God is not afraid to be just and to punish evil even when he won't be understood and won't be liked for it. And we can see that God can even use suffering to advance his good purposes. All of that comes just in the first verse. Now, I don't propose to go through the chapter verse by verse. You'll be pleased to hear I just want to highlight three things for us. What God says and does for the Israelites, for Manoah, and for Manoah's wife. First of all, for the Israelites. The Israelites have abandoned belief in God. But this chapter shows us a God who still believes in them. 
even when they no longer believe in him. A God who calls them back to himself even when they no longer call out to him. I can't help but be reminded of Paul's words in Romans chapter 5. Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the Israelites, God is revealed as a God who believes in them even when they've abandoned belief in him. And this is true too for Canada. God is revealed as a God who believes in Canadians even when they've abandoned belief in him. Second, Manoah. Manoah wants to wrestle control of his family's life from God and doesn't recognize God when he encounters him. But this chapter shows us a God who won't let Manoah extinguish his faith by giving him control over his circumstances. For Manoah, God is revealed as a God who persists in revealing himself, even to one who doesn't recognize him until he's made himself known. And that's why God can still be found in churches that have abandoned biblical Christianity in favor of human schemes. Whether we're talking about the the health and wealth churches that we see uh, regularly on the television, or liberal churches that have abandoned faith in the Bible, God can still be found there because he's a God who persists in revealing himself even to those who do not recognize him until he's made himself known. Third, what God says and does for Manoah's wife. Manoah's wife, being the most open, receives the most extensive revelation of God. Now, Doubtless you've noticed that she's never named She's literally nobody special. And yet God chooses her as the person through whom to begin the deliverance of Israel. In Israel, children were seen as a sign of God's blessing, barrenness as a mark of God's curse, and yet God chooses her and gives her a child, and not just a child, a son, and not just a son, a saviour. Despite her personal faith and the personal blessing she's received, Her own words show that she can't quite bring herself to believe that God's purposes for her will impact the world. And yet God chooses her for exactly that task. Even though she doesn't believe that can happen, God still chooses her for the task. For Manoah's wife, God is revealed as a God who puts even his plan of salvation in the hands of those who struggle to believe it. Isn't that extraordinary? God has no plan B for reaching this neighborhood. You're it. Even though you may not believe that you can do it, even though you may not want to be a part of his mission in this neighborhood, God has given you this mission because God is a God who puts even his plan of salvation in the hands of those who struggle to believe it. Now, if there's one thing that all of this tells me, It's that God is a God who continually confounds our expectations. He confounds the expectations of those who've abandoned belief in him. He confounds the expectations of those who are religious, those who acknowledge that he exists but want to remain in control of their world and so don't recognize him as he really is. And he confounds the expectations of those 
who can't bring themselves to believe that he can change their neighborhood, their city, their nation, let alone change it through them. The God of the Bible persists in revealing himself to us even when we have no expectations or entirely wrong expectations of him. The one thing that a careful reading of scripture will make us certain of is that God will not do what we expect. Amen.